Uncaged. Uncaged. A show celebrating thought leadership from today's top business leaders. The program provides a voice to amazing executives from around the globe who are shaping the world of business today and mapping the path to the world of commerce tomorrow. And now, please welcome our host, Bant Breen, as we begin another Uncaged episode. Today, we have a bit of a different structure for the show. We're going to be doing a bit of a roundtable discussion with two gentlemen here. We have Dr. Steve Hankey. Dr. Hankey probably needs no introduction. He is a professor of applied economics at Johns Hopkins University and has been steering U.S. and global economic policy and advising organizations such as the Cato Institute and many, many others over the last several decades on their approach to economics. But before we get into a discussion about Dr. Hankey's amazing past, I want to also introduce Carl Block here. Now we have Carl Block. He is a partner at the distinguished law firm of Loeb and Loeb, where he has worked as a corporate attorney and is well known for really being a tremendous partner for businesses as they face the lovely challenges that we're all going through. Now, I have to basically lead this conversation and say that Carl's comments today are not Loeb and Loeb's comments. He's not expressing their opinion, but these are the opinions of Mr. Block. So it's great to have you on the program as well, Carl, and great to have you on as well, Dr. Hankey. Now, as we look forward into the discussion today, I want to kind of set it up a bit. I find ourselves living in quite an interesting moment, not only because of the pandemic, but this year of 2022. And here we are on the back half of 2022. To date, this year has been chock full of surprises for all of us with the war in the Ukraine, accelerated inflation, a post-pandemic period filled with challenges such as the supply chain imbalances and energy crunches. Now that we're in September and everyone is back to work or back at school from the summer holidays, let's take a closer look at where we are and what is going on in terms of the business horizon. And I really kind of want to explore that. Let's start with you, Dr. Hankey. You know, 2022 was for many the year where we were going to return to a bit of a normal state of things. If you and I had spoken at the end of 2021, I was very excited about 2022. But boy, has this been an interesting ride so far. Where is the economy today? Well, it's great to be with you, Ben, and also Carl. Now, one thing in the introduction, and let me just make a remark. Carl was one of my students at Johns Hopkins. Carl's a Hopkins man. He's wearing even the Hopkins colors, uh, the Blue Jay colors on his tie, that is. But at any rate, 2022, over a year ago, John Greenwood and I wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal, and we were the only ones who ever put a number and made a forecast, a technical forecast of what was going to happen with inflation. That's the number one topic right now. Yeah. And we said a year and a half ago that inflation in the United States, we were using the quantity theory of money, kind of a Milton Friedman type monetarist model. And we said that the inflation would be 6% and maybe as high as 9%. Well, it is 8.5% right now. 
it actually went up to 9.1%. That was the highest reading we've had so far in 22. Mm -hmm. So we hit the bullseye on that. So that is the epicenter of what people are worried about in the economy. And we'll talk more about that later. The other thing that I didn't anticipate a year and a half ago is that you have to get it in your head. The U.S. has declared war on Russia. The press spins this thing in a completely oddball way. But sanctions are a means of war. They're a means to instigate economic warfare. So we have engaged in a war with Russia. We've declared the war on Russia with sanctions. And this is disrupting all of the world economy and absolutely making shambles out of Europe. So this is a big deal. And by the way, it's a very dangerous deal. Yeah. Well, I mean, Russia certainly is a worry that Ukraine has definitely been on, and we'll definitely get back to all of the inflation. No, no and my the point Ukraine. is the United yeah. States is the worry, not Russia. Ah. <laughs> We've declared war on Russia. You have to follow the thing through. Who imposed the sanctions on Russia? We mm. did. You're not reading this in the paper because the paper is full of propaganda. And my 95% rule is 95% of what you read in the press is either wrong or irrelevant. And it's totally hyper propaganda at present. Anything going on in Ukraine or anything about Russia or anything about our involvement or the European Union's involvement in that, you have to be very, very careful when you read mm -hmm. it. Yeah, we live in interesting times with the press and the media and really trying to figure out what is actually happening. Carl, what is your take on where we are right now? So I'm, of course, seeing lots of uncertainty. And I want to say to Professor Hankey, you know, you're one of the most interesting people in the world. To me, you're like the Dosecki's guy. And I think I could see people saying, oh, no, Professor Hankey's going to do another model. <laughs> He's going to be right. And what do we do? But I see a lot of things going on. So first, in sectors like manufacturing, hospitality, and retail, nobody can find workers, okay? This is a very, very difficult problem. I think in areas like tech, people are not doing as much capital expenditures, so tech companies are starting to feel it. I see people with very uncertain valuations. And so there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines because nobody is certain where things go. I think there's been an effect on commercial real estate as people are reevaluating, you know, what is the future? Are people in professional services gonna be going back to the office full-time? Is it gonna vary by market? And how long is it gonna be? What are the apologies to them? Millennials and the Gen Z is gonna wanna do about their work-life balance. Those are big issues. I'm also seeing people express uncertainty about the availability of new vaccines and new treatments, what's going to go on with new COVID strains. And I would say there are not a lot of robust areas of growth in the economy that I'm seeing my clients or people that I'm talking to seeing. It's a really good overview, Carl, outlining many of those topics. I 
often forget really the labor shortage issue. It has been very tough in the first half of the year for many companies, including my own, to actually find available talent. There actually has been a significant shortage. And it's kind of interesting to think about that in the context of what we're seeing now. Dr. Hanke, I praise you for being so accurate <laughs> in your analysis. Although I don't know if we're all loving the fact that we're at such a high inflation rate right now. And certainly as we see the Fed's raising rates. It seems like inflation is now really impacting almost every aspect of the business community and really customers' lives and consumers' lives and people's lives already. What are you seeing there? And whilst I guess you were the Nostradamus that saw where we are today, what does the next six to 12 months look like for us? Well, that's, of course, as they say, the $64,000 question. <laughs> that's, what they used, that's what they used to say about 40 years ago. Probably the $64 billion question now. Yeah, that's actually a great inflationary joke. <laughs> yeah. So one thing that I'd really like to get across to the viewers, because there's a lot of confusion about the cause of inflation. And I said that Greenwood and I use the quantity theory of money, the monetarist kind of model, a Milton Friedman kind of model. And what this means, in fact, in kind of ordinary language is, if you look at the history of inflations in the world, there has never been in the world a significant inflation unless it's been preceded by a significant increase in the quantity of money or supply of money. And when I say significant inflation, I mean an inflation of like 4%, lasting, yeah. let's say, two years, that, that would be significant. So there has never been a recorded significant inflation unless it's been preceded by a significant increase in the growth in the money supply. So that's why we have the inflation we have today. When COVID started, the Fed turned the printing presses on and ramped up the growth rate in the money supply to about three times as fast that it should have been if they would have wanted to hit the inflation target of 2% that they have. So they had a huge growth in money. Now you ask the question, oh, where are we going? Well, what's happened, I like to think in terms of my monetary bathtub. So in February of 2020, what's going into the tub through the faucet, we've had accumulation of 31% growth in the money supply since February of 2020. So that went into the tub. Now, what goes out normally, you've got two drains in the tub. One, money goes out to accommodate normal economic growth. And two, it goes out to accommodate the increased demand for money. Right. But there's still, we had a 31% increase. There's probably 25% increase that's still left in the tub. Mm. So you say, well, what's that all about? That goes in the inflation overflow valve. And the inflation overflow valve takes time to go out. Usually there's a lag between the time you put the money in the tub and the time it goes out for inflation of about 12 to 24 months, sometimes up to three years. Right. So back to your question. Where are we going with inflation? We are going to end this year, Greenwood and I think, using the same old model, tried and true model, six to 8% inflation year over year at the end of December, 2022. 
the end of 2023, that inflation number will probably be around 5%. Okay. So we're in for a long spell of inflation. It's probably not going to really get out of the system, depending, of course, on what the Fed does. But what we have already in the tub is not going to really get released all of it until 2024. Right. So we're going to have a lot of inflation. Now, the second thing and the new thing to be watching, what is happening to the money supply today, right now? The last five months, the money supply broadly measured by what they call M2, that's the broadest measure the Fed has, has not grown. It's already zero. That means we're going to have a recession right around the corner. Now, Jackson Hole speech by the chairman of the Fed, Jerome Powell, he says we're going to even tighten more. And he literally has told us that we're going to have a recession. And I think we'll have a whopper of a recession if he actually does what he says, because he doesn't watch the money supply. The Fed doesn't watch the money supply. It produces money and it keeps telling us that the money supply is irrelevant and has no connection to the economy, which is complete nonsense, by the way. Yeah. And notice, notice that the Fed chairman has never admitted that the Fed has had anything to do with causing inflation. He says, we had supply chain problems. We had Putin in Ukraine. We had oil shortages. We had COVID. I mean, you name it, they have a thousand things. So that's the overview on the monetary thing. I would like to just remark about what Carl said about the labor problem, because that's very important. Let me yeah. give you a little anecdote. About two months ago, I was down in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and a very nice boutique kind of hotel little cottages, individual mm -hmm. cottages for everybody. It's the very high end, the place. So I go into the room and there's a sign over the sink. And the sign says, due to the fact that we have a shortage of labor and can't get maids, please put your towel in the brown basket every night and put it in front of the door of the little cottage that we were in. So I asked the manager, I said, what in the world's going on? Anyway, you don't have young people or people that yeah. can work. And he says, oh, we have lots of people. We have lots of people applying. They apply and I hire them. And then they say, oh, I changed my mind. I can't work. And I said, well, what's going on? The process is if you apply and then you decide you don't want to work, you can stay on welfare mm. and they stay on welfare. And he said the welfare they get is about, I think, $375, $400 a week. Mm. And he can't pay more than like $500. So they'd be working all week for $100. It doesn't make any sense. That, yeah, that's no. What... So the incentive to actually be a part of the workforce is uh, diminished. And so they've found a way around that. I want to kind of go back to one of the things that you just highlighted, which is this lovely topic of the recession. It seems to me that we have such a strange environment for a recession, you know, in some ways we still have a relatively buoyant job market, right? Right now, what would be the impact of a recession? How do you think it would manifest itself today? Well, it's going to manifest itself as, you know, they measure the GDP. It already, there's a big debate about whether we're actually in a recession or not in a recession. Right. 
I'm not going to get into that. I'll let the National Bureau of Economic Research business cycle team decide whether we actually had a recession. What I'm talking about is a very significant decrease in GDP. And the reason we will have the decrease in GDP is because the money supply is not growing and the Fed is not looking at the money supply. They don't even look at it. And they claim that they're going to tighten things up even more. I mean, that's the game plan. So we'll have a contraction in the money supply. And by the way, five months of zero growth in broad money means that a recession is just baked in the cake. The GDP, economic activity just goes down, basically. Consumption goes down. Investment goes down, mainly investment, by the way. That's the most sensitive thing. And if you look at the housing market right now, it's tanking. Mm. It's already started to tank. Yeah. That's a very good thing to look at. Yeah, it's a very, very good indicator. I'd be curious also, though, Carl, maybe you can weigh in here a little bit on this. So I would love to talk about that, and I will. But I would also like to ask Professor Hanke some questions about where we are and where we're going to go. And obviously, you may already have answers. You may have already thought about this. But I was struck by your colloquy with Bant. And I'm thinking about, well, okay. We know what the perception is about what Powell did wrong. So, and we're looking at this recession, and again, you're usually right, and you're modeling about what it is. And I'm wondering, are there tools in the toolkit, either with the Fed or with the federal government, to ameliorate this? You know, I always thought that the typical inflation fighters might be lowering tariffs, gently raising reserves, some reverse purchase agreements, things like that, lowering regulations for business. What things can be done? What things should be done to try to make you wrong or to try to ameliorate the path that they're on now? Is there anything that you can think of that you'd like to talk about? Well, all the things that you've mentioned aren't really inflation per se. They're really the potential growth for the economy. So if you get into deregulation, and if your potential growth rate now on a sustained basis in the United States is about 2.2%, and if you did a lot of deregulation and you had some good supply side tax cuts, good old Reaganomics, you would increase that 2.2 to some higher number, maybe Mm 2.3 or 2.4, something like that. So that changes the potential of the economic growth. The inflation thing, is a much shorter duration, and that's all connected to the money supply. As I indicated before, there's been no significant inflation ever in the world without a significant increase in the money supply. So how do you mitigate? You mitigate it by not causing a problem with the money supply. The Fed gave us inflation. They have not admitted that. They never understood it. And so we're in the soup with inflation right now. How do you mitigate the thing going forward? There's something called, if you use a quantity theory of money, I can calculate for you what I call a golden growth rate for the money supply. That is the rate of growth in the money supply that would be consistent with the Fed hitting its inflation target at 2%. That growth rate is about 5 to 6%. We're growing at 0% now. We were growing on average about 15%, by the way since COVID, and then now the thing has come down. 
So they've been all over the place. They really don't know what they're doing. It's incredible, but they do not know at the Fed what they're doing because they are not looking at the money supply. It's like, Carl, it's like flying an airplane. You're looking at the altimeter and there's nothing on the altimeter. If you're in a central bank, what should be on the altimeter? The money supply. The money supply. There's nothing on it. They're flying blind. They're flying blind. And that's why we're in a very dangerous situation in terms of macroeconomic policy. Very dangerous. They should be increasing this money supply five to six percent. They're not even looking at it. And if they did that, Carl, then the inflation would peter out sometime in 2024 if they did that. Understood. And last question on these kinds of things. Could the federal government, with their fiscal policy, could they spend less? Is there anything they could do in collaboration with the Fed to make this a little bit better? Or do you think that the cake is baked? The fiscal situation is interesting because you have to look at what started this printing presses going. It was the fiscal spending and the huge increase in the deficit that we had. And right when COVID started, Trump, by the way, was the president then. And the fiscal deficit expanded greatly. And it was, we call it monetized. The Fed monetized that by buying the bonds that were being issued by the government to finance the deficit. 90% of them were bought by the Fed. And when the Fed does that, they do what? They extend credit to the government. And that is an increase in the money supply. That's how the money supply, the mechanics of how it works. It started originally with a huge increase in government spending, a huge deficit. The Fed financed all of it, almost all of it. And we've got ourselves in a pickle with a lot of inflation. So the best thing to do to make it easy for the Fed so the Fed doesn't get any trouble is to balance the budget. That, that would be the best thing. So tighten our belts, balance the budget. That will hopefully play a positive role if we could find a way to do that. Dr. Henke, I think that'll be, that's the easiest thing said, but we all know in politics, probably the hardest thing ever done. But let me actually shift a little bit here and go overseas. And Dr. Henke, you did talk about how the policies of the U.S. have essentially declared war on Russia, and we've seen that manifest itself in the sanctions. I spend a ton of time overseas, mostly in Europe. I see right now in Europe, people are talking a lot about energy. And uh, there's been uh, a lot of media reports of this uh, kind of petro diplomacy that's happening. Even today, talking about the money supply in the US, there's been a lot of talk about increased money supply in Europe to help people through the winter. Just be curious to get your take on the impact of what's happening in Europe right now and how that might impact us in the States. Well, think of the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom in the past week told the Brits that their electric bills are going to go up by 80%. Talk about sticker shock. Can you imagine you're running a household on a fairly tight budget, balancing your books and everything, and somebody says, oh, by the way, your electric bill is going to be 80% higher this year than next year. So again, they're running around like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off. They don't know what to do because they've essentially said, we don't want to import 
especially gas from Russia, as well as oil. And now they're whining because supposedly Russia's cut them off from gas. There's no logic in this thing. It's complete madness with the epicenter of the thing, in fact, being Germany. Germany is being hollowed out by this. The government in Germany is clearly incompetent. And there are a number of greens in the government who have no idea about any of these things. So it just goes from one day to the next. We don't know what they're going to do. And their instincts are very bad because everything they want to do is go back towards some kind of central planning. Mm. The government is going to plan the rationing. We're going to have to ration heat and energy. And the government's going to tell us how much we can use, where we set our thermostats, how many showers we can take a day. This is back in the old Soviet Union. Yesterday, I think in Spain, they set a target that you couldn't lower your thermostat below 80 degrees Fahrenheit. (laughs) It varies from country to country. I think yesterday it was 78 in Germany, but they'll change that. You know, these things are changing literally every day because, again, it's like the Fed. I said the Fed's flying blind. You've got all these politicians flying blind. We've politicized everything now. All economic decisions are being made by politicians. That's the problem. By the way, it's a little bit of madness because you have people making decisions who don't pay the cost of bad decisions. In a private business, what happens? If you screw up and make a bad decision, you're out of a job. You're you're out of a job. (laughs) If you're a politician, it doesn't work that way. Carl, what are you seeing? Well, I will just say this, and obviously the issue of energy is paramount to a lot of things and affects a lot of my clients, frankly, and a lot of industries, because I'd be hard-pressed to think of an industry that didn't have energy needs. And I have to be careful how I phrase this, but I do wonder where the connectivity is between industry and government so that governments understand the needs of industry and where people who are really experts in the energy business, the people who create it and produce it, may have very important opinions that may be ignored by governments. And so I don't want to comment on any particular government in Europe or otherwise, but one wonders when you cut off energy to yourself or you stop producing domestic energy, Obviously, there's going to be an inflationary effect. Obviously, you have people in intemperate climates who are going to suffer. Obviously, you know, Professor Hankey and a great economics department, when you constrict supply, obviously, there's going to be an issue with pricing. And why that there are people who are not looking at where the technology is today for certain kinds of energy, how long it may take for that energy to be abundant and available and plentiful. And I'm not seeing that. And it's very troubling to me because it obviously has a huge effect on all economies and why any government would in particular put themselves in a position to be vulnerable when there are things that they could have anticipated and whether they should have not shut down nuclear reactors or they shouldn't have phased out other kinds of typical fossil fuel production. 
and when and what they did. I mean, it's, I'm not there, but I do know that there are a lot of people in business who do this for a living full time. And they're, what they are not are people who are trying to get elected and trying to do political messaging. They're people who deal with this stuff every day and they know what's out there. And there are people who are experts at this. And I yeah. don't frankly understand the disconnect and I see the problems that are arising from it. Well, I mean, I could tell you just as a small to medium-sized business owner, the idea of an 80% increase in energy prices is beyond planning. You can't plan for that. That becomes kind of like one of those moments where you have to take some pretty dramatic decisions. We'll see how this plays out over this winter, but it certainly does not bode well. I was just going to say what Carl said is very important because this is just supply and demand. I mean, to kind of restate what Carl said, in the United States, as well as Europe, by the way, we've been in this green thing and the climate thing and a war on fossil fuels. So that cuts down supply and we're decommissioning nuclear power plants all, all over the world, Britain, Germany, California. I mean, you know, California, of course, we're leading the way. Carl can tell us all about that. But this, this has made us very vulnerable. That's why this shock that we're involved with in Europe is so shocking and hit Europe so hard because they've essentially made it illegal to produce energy in any form except, uh, you know, windmills and hydropower and things like that. But they're not ready. Right. They're not ready. They're not they, scaled. They, even right. even it's a not a scalable time, solution. They wouldn't be ready. And you look at California, the grid won't handle anything. You've had hot weather out in California and the whole place is about ready to go into a blackout. So, I mean, to add on to all of this discussion on the economy and the money supply and some of the challenges that we're seeing uh, impact us, not only locally, globally as well. We find ourselves in a year where we have midterm elections, guys. I mean, this is another kind of level of complexity thrown onto this moment. Tell me a little bit about what you're seeing there and what might come out of this. Okay, so I'm not a pollster and I can't predict for sure what the outcome is going to be. And of course, and I would say... The one thing from my perspective that I see that is where politics and economics have something in common, there is always a factor of emotion, whether we want to focus on it or not. And one of the things I didn't ask Professor Hankey about is whether jawboning by the Fed, for example, is an effective tool because it plays to people's emotion and does that affect what they will do. Well, I'm not sure who is going to win the election and whether there will be majorities of one party or another. But my concern in all that is, no matter what, is there really going to be the discipline or desire to try to ameliorate the inflation? Is there going to be the willingness to do tax cuts? If a particular party wanted to do tax cuts, are they going to get 66 senators so that they can overcome a veto is their willingness to do that. Again, is there a willingness for there to be a collaboration with industry since again, these people are in the adult world and they're used to dealing with this all the time. Is it going to just devolve into fights towards 2024? And I don't know, of course, but I think we're a very divided country. 
Mm. And I'm not sure that with the polarization, that no matter what the outcome is, it's going to make a difference in the economic matters. And that also goes with other issues that are yeah. on people's mind, like health and, and immigration and the like. I'd be curious to get your take on this, Dr. Hanke. I mean, usually I would say that when we've seen economic challenges, recessions, that's led to a lot of political change as well. I mean, what's your take on the situation? Usually the economic activity is a very important indicator of electoral outcomes. And there's a professor at Yale who's the big expert on this, Ray Fair. And, and these economic models are pretty good at predicting the outcome of elections. So the, the economy is you know, not, not in great shape. We got inflation, the labor market's pretty good now. In fact, it's very good, but it's softening up. And everybody kind of sees the recession right around the corner, if not with us right now. So that's kind of the economic picture. I think the main thing to focus on, you have to realize that all of these politicians are bad and that the best outcome is to have a divided government. You have to have the president in one party and the Congress in another. We function better when we have divided government. So I'm for a divided government. So in that sense, I do hope that the Republicans take back the Senate and the House. Uh, that said, it's not so clear that they're going to. They should be just a cakewalk and taking this thing back. It's not, it remains a little bit fuzzy. Right. Because the midterm elections, by the way, usually go against the party in power and the economy isn't so great, but there are all kinds of other things going on too. And one thing that's going on that I find disconcerting is that the Republicans, the opposition party, they don't seem to have any coherent ideas that make any sense. Plus, this war with Russia is a bipartisan thing. So that's mm -hmm. why I say both parties are a disaster in terms of international policy. So, so you got a pox on every house kind of thing going right. on, as far as I'm concerned. I'm very unimpressed with anyone in Washington, D.C., quite frankly. There's really nobody on the scene that has any good ideas. They're all... Uh, you know, in La La Land, you know, they could all move to California and, you know, <laughs> or Hawaii, Hawaii, send them to Hawaii, you know, for a long vacation. Well, uh, Dr. Hanke, thank you so much for being on on Cage Day. And Carl, it's been great to have you on as well. We've been talking about a lot of topics today. Many of them really have connected back to the situation in the economy. And I think, Dr. Hanke has repeated the phrase money supply and the fact that we're not thinking about the money supply and not aware of money supply and really need to be factoring that into our broader efforts to stabilize and grow the economy and head in a positive direction. Carl, great to have you on the program as well. It's amazing to see how all of these things are shaping business. So I appreciate the conversation today and we look forward to having the two of you back in the future. Thank you so much for being on Uncaged today. Thank you, Cheers. man. Good to be with you, Carl. You too. Good seeing you again.